You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, does your operation have soul? Is your restaurant brand useful? Are you a true industry innovator? Importantly, are you dialed in, and I mean really dialed in, to the relationship between your hospitality business and your customer? Well, now that I've got your attention, this episode is going to rock your restaurant. Today, I'm speaking with Mr. Ben Gaddis, the president of one of the world's top innovation agencies, counting some of the world's biggest brands like Staples, 7-Eleven, Carvel, I love that ice cream, Pizza Hut, Cinnabon, and Capital One, to name just a few. You're going to hear and learn all about powerful strategies that these top brands use to build and grow their loyalty programs. We'll talk about online ordering, delivery, the most effective digital marketing tools, the power of data capture, positive impressions, and controlling your customer relationships. Don't miss this episode. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Now listen on. Welcome back, everybody, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, topics that help restaurant owners build their brands, rock their profits, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. I'm really excited today to have Mr. Ben Gaddis. He is the president of a company called T3 based in Austin, Texas, and they are one of the world's top innovation agencies. So we're going to talk branding today. We're going to talk loyalty, digital marketing, uh, customer relationship management, all the things that restaurants can do better to attract clients, to retain their customers, and to deliver amazing guest service experiences. With that, thank you, Ben, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Roger. Excited to talk to you today. Well, that's really awesome. Now, you've got some of the leading brands of the world in under your agency. You've worked with Pizza Hut and 7-Eleven and Capital One and Staples, and on the restaurant side, you know, Cinnabon and Auntie... Auntie Marie's Pretzels and Carvel and Schlotzky's. I mean, these are really recognized brands. So obviously these clients are coming to T3 for many, many reasons, but you obviously have solutions for them. So how old is the company? How long have you been in the restaurant space? And why don't we talk about what's really, really important as a starting point. If you've got a restaurant and you just want to you know, increase your customer loyalty and start with something, where would you go? Sure. So um, we have been in business as T3 for 29 years. So we're about to celebrate our 30th anniversary. And the thing that we've really tried to do since the very beginning is get away from the traditional advertising agency model and really help our clients figure out what is the core business problem that they're trying to solve. And if they can understand that through the lens of their customers, what is it that their customer expects them to deliver on? Then typically we can come up with solutions that may have advertising as part of the solution, but um, really more holistic uh, you know, business problem solving uh, initiatives. And so that's what we try to focus on. And we got into the restaurant space about five or six years ago. Uh, we've been working with 7-Eleven for the last seven years. And one of the things that we realized with their business is that the idea of convenience is changing. And in a world where you've got third-party delivery, um, you know, you've got uh, the ability as a consumer to get food, um, drinks, anything that you want delivered to you in 30 minutes or less, 
brands are starting to have to rethink their core value proposition. And so in working with 7-Eleven, we really understood that, that the idea of being convenient to someone is not necessarily just about the experience you provide in the store. It's about the experience that you provide across every channel. Um, so we help them build uh, you know, their loyalty program, their mobile app experiences, and a lot of really innovative products. And then what we built on from there is the fact that restaurants have to be more convenient. Um, and so we started working with Pizza Hut, we started working with Auntie Anne's, with uh, Moe's and Cinnabon. Uh, and across that, where we're seeing the biggest challenge, I think the single biggest challenge for restaurants today is, is, is uh, delivery. Um, it's the fact that there is no longer um, a, a location element uh, that differentiates you. Uh, someone can get uh, any type of food that they want at any time of the day from any provider. Um, and so what restaurants have to do is figure out how they can deliver a differentiated experience both inside their stores, but also outside of that. And that's what we're trying to help them do. Now, you specialize in improving relationships between the restaurants and their customers. And it all starts, I'm sure, with a specific process. How do you onboard a new client? What types of things do you look for? What types of questions do you ask? What's that whole process like so that you can really get into a brand, understand what it is, and how you can improve it? Well, the first thing that we want to figure out is... Uh, we want to understand what the brand stands for, but we really have to go and talk to their customers and we have to figure out when they think about a brand, what is the need state that they're trying to solve? And oftentimes uh, a brand wants to tell you what they stand for without listening to what their customers expect them to stand for. And so uh, we do a lot of customer research uh, and that can be you know, as down and dirty as just talking to people um, as they walk out the door uh, and ask them what their experience is like. But a lot of times we want to get ahead of, why did you come here? Were you hungry? Are you thirsty? Were you trying to meet up with friends? And if you can really understand that needs that need state, it opens up the potential for the brand to connect with the customer, not just at the moment where they're putting something in their mouth, but really to build the brand around uh, what that customer uh, is missing in their life. And so we spend a lot of time up there. And then once we have that understanding of where the customer is, then we go about building the actual experiences um, around that brand. So that's going to be the physical experience. Uh, more and more so, that's going to be the digital experience because that's where a lot of people are having their first interaction with restaurants. And then making sure that's tied together so that once somebody leaves, we spent all this time and money to get them to come to our restaurant. And that is so hard to do, to get them to come for the first time. But then we forget them. They come back. We don't greet them by name. We don't remember what they ordered last time, you know, the way that you used to at the, the diner uh, in a small town. And now that these restaurants are getting bigger and bigger, it's harder to do that. So we also spend a lot of time figuring out how can we make sure that the third and fourth and fifth interactions are better every single time. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. I am a huge advocate of the human element because obviously technology moves forward every day. There's new and new apps coming out all the time at different platforms that help restaurants communicate with their customers and figure out, okay, what their ordering history is and what their favorite things are and the recognition piece. But you still have the staff portion that make impressions on guests each and every single day. Do you sort of get involved with the staff training component or is this uh, most technology or is it both 
It's a little bit of both. You know, most of the clients that we work with are large restaurants. So some of our clients have 10,000 locations, 6,500 locations. Um, but we do work with restaurants that may have five or 10 locations. And um, as you get larger, it's more challenging to deliver a consistent human experience. And so oftentimes those larger operators are going to look to technology to almost level the playing field. But the human element is something that you can't miss, whether it's technology at 10,000 units or, you know, uh, your first restaurant that you open up. Um, if the human element doesn't understand why your brand exists, if they don't understand really what you expect them to deliver in every single interaction, then it all breaks down. And so we help clients. Sometimes we'll be launching a, you know, we'll launch a loyalty program in 7,000 units. Uh, but the biggest focus is making sure that the staff uh, understands why we want these people to be loyal. People aren't loyal to a program. They're loyal to an experience. And so it has to go through every single touch point. So we focus a lot of that. Um, you know, and I think that the, the thing that I uh, we spend a lot of time with our clients on is that um, technology is a great solution. And like you said, you know, it, it can it's always changing. Uh, but if your team doesn't really understand um, the part of the experience that they provide, then they're going to be they're going to feel a little bit lost. They're going to feel a little bit left out. And so we try to help define what is it that those humans should provide as a part of a larger experience that the brand can offer. OK, that's an excellent answer. That's exactly what I was looking for. Ben, tell us about T3 has this concept of a useful brand, a useful company. You know, how do you build a useful brand? And why don't you explain all that to the audience? Sure. So we've been um, so we, we build a lot of things as part of our relationships with our clients. And so that could be uh, a website that could be an online ordering program. It could be a mobile app. But um, those things are are just that they're things. Um, and, and when somebody interacts with them, uh, we don't want them to feel like things. We want them to feel like part of an experience that you've had with a brand that, that, that solves a problem for a user. And when we talk to consumers, it's really hard to understand what they want. And so we went out and we did a lot of research. We talked to 5,500 consumers about all sorts of hundreds of different brands. And we tried to just break down what is it that a consumer expects from a brand, a modern brand today. And overwhelmingly, what they told us is they expect brands to be useful. And, and when I say useful, that, that oftentimes makes people think about the word utility. And so they think about things like apps or like websites. But useful is both a state of mind. Um, it's, it's the way that, that you make me feel when I interact with you. And then it's the functional interactions that we have. And what we found in our research is that uh, the best brands today are built on really two sides of usefulness. So the relationship component. So how do you make me feel when I interact with you? And then how easy is it for me to interact with you whenever I want to? Uh, and so 52% of a useful brand is made up of the way that the brand makes you feel. The relationship, 48% is made up of really how they perform, um, how easy they are to interact with. But the single biggest thing that came out of that research that was interesting to me was that uh, to build a relationship in today, consumers told us over and over that you have to be, uh, you have to perform, uh, meaning that you have to be fast, you have to be customizable, um, you have to be simple, you have to remember the last interaction that I have. 
And if you don't meet those kind of bare minimum thresholds, the chance of you building an ongoing relationship is very small. And so um, we say that, you know, useful is really, uh, it's the currency of a modern brand and it is the way to build long-term relationships with customers. Okay. And there's an innovation component that sort of corresponds or unlocks the solution you're looking for. And now we're talking about the essence or the soul of a company and how they can innovate to communicate that aura, if you will. Am I on the right track here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think innovation, we look at innovation as um, as really a process. And I think people sometimes will think about innovation as a, as a thing or an output or an outcome. Uh, and the best companies, the ones that are the most innovative, are the ones that are able to consistently evolve and adapt based on what their customers are looking for. And so as a useful brand, one of the things that you have to do is you have to be listening to what people think is useful um, and useful is going to change. What it means today will mean something, it'll mean something very different tomorrow. So having to uh, listen and understand uh, is a big part of it, but then uh, actually putting that into action is a big part of, um, of, of being innovative today. And I think that uh, a lot of times people will, um, there, there's a lot of talk out there and maybe not enough doing. And so to be useful uh, it's the idea of taking some of these new tools, but then putting in and putting them to action in a way that benefits the customer, solves a problem as opposed to maybe just being flashy. Okay, let's take innovation a step further. To me, innovation is all about staying ahead of the curve, and no matter how successful you are today, just realizing that you have to keep pushing the boundaries to please the customer, improve the guest service experience, continue to build affinity with them so that they become your most powerful marketing channels through online you know, reviews and social media and all that kind of stuff. There are just countless stories of restaurants or even brands, chains, all that sort of thing that were once highly powerful brands and somehow they lost their way. They've, they've been in business for decades and now those brands are gone. They're closed because they didn't stay relevant with their consumer, changing tastes, changing generations. I mean, all these things happen. What part does relevance play into this whole innovation thing and I mean, do you work with that that general idea with 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 most most of your clients, or what do you, what would you say about that? Yeah, I think that relevance is um, is a challenge that that every brand faces, and I think that restaurants face it probably more than any other category right now, uh, because being relevant for a long time just meant that you had a, a position in someone's mind, and when they thought about food, they thought about you. So they might have a, a specific taste that they're going after. Um, and you used to be the only pizza joint in town. Now, not only are there endless options, um, but those options are available at any time uh, and they don't necessarily have to be uh, close. So the idea of convenience has changed. So I think that relevance is, uh, is a major challenge for a, a, a restaurant today. And as you think about the idea of, of innovation, um, that's one way to stay relevant. Uh, so it's being in the right platforms. Uh, it's being available to customers when they actually, uh, no matter where they are, no matter what time they're looking for you. Um, but it's also uh, really making the process of uh, of going and going through the process of of eating, um, of ordering, 
as uh, as easy as humanly possible. And so I think that you kind of combine all of those things and um, and what we're faced with as restaurateurs today or people in the industry uh, is that we don't know what relevance is going to mean two years from now. So what we have to do is we have to just continue to listen to our customers. We have to try out things and we have to stay ahead of the game uh, because it's going to change and, and it's it's going to be an interesting ride for sure. Something that definitely has to be paid attention to and prioritized because I've always said that, you know, running restaurants, this is the business of a thousand details and there's so many balls in the air, so many moving pieces and so many areas to focus in on. Restaurateurs, managers, they're always putting out the daily fires. It's like, when do they have time to step back? You know, they got staff training, they got human relations issues, bills to pay, all this kind of stuff. When can you take a step back? and focus on the future, whatever that means. And there's a relevance piece to that too, but everything we're talking about here is a real competitive advantage. But unfortunately, it's lost on a lot of operators because they just don't have the time. So how do you shift their priorities and their focus to say, hey, you've got to spend so much time on this every single week because it's your future. It's your, it's your, you know, the viability of your business. Well, I mean, you, you, you put it very well in that it, if you don't get ahead, uh, you're going to be behind. And the time to get ahead is really challenging to find when you have a million different things on your plate. I think what we try to do is just help prioritize. Uh, if you try to do 10 things really well, you're going to do 10 things poorly. And so I think what we say is where are the opportunities where you're going to see the most bang for your buck at first from a customer standpoint, what are the things that if you did, your customers would not only talk about you, but they would rave about you to their friends and online. So you want to focus on those things. And then where are the things you're going to have the most impact on your business? And that could be the bottom line or it could be time back. So um, then from there, we're able to kind of prioritize and look at those things and pick off the ones that we know will have the biggest return on not only investment, but on time. Uh, and then, uh, you know, so a lot of those in our area tend to be things like platforms. Um, so things like um, online ordering, um, things like um, customer surveys. Uh, you know, I, I'm constantly surprised by how little uh, people, how little feedback um, restaurants get from their customers. Uh, and we actually, um, there, there's a there's a partner um, uh, technology firm that uh, that's in town that does uh, feedback um, and uh, and one of the things that, that we've seen with uh, some restaurants is that comment cards might get 10 or 20 um, responses over the course of a month um, with some of these technology platforms clients are getting 3,000 4,000 uh, responses a month. Um, so, you know, just the, the sheer amount of an insight that you get back from those platforms gives you insights that you can really uh, put into, into good, good use. So what we try to do is figure out what are those main things that you want to focus on that you're going to get the biggest bang from your buck on? And then can technology give you back more time in your day or uh, give your staff more time to focus on the things that are most important? What's top of the minute with database building and communicating with your customer once you capture email addresses, even if it's an old school way like, you know, a comment card that somebody fills out when they're paying their check and you ask them for their email and they give it to you. 
and then you, you communicate with them in the future. I mean, we used to do this a lot, but that was years and years ago in our restaurants, and it was a hugely successful part of our communication. What, what's the latest ways that restaurants are really communicating regularly with their customer to stay on top, you know, top of mind? Well, you know, the, the ones that jump out are actually the ones that are probably the most obvious, but they're the most effective. So email is a workhorse that most restaurants are not getting enough out of. Uh, we use email so effectively. I mean, we have a client right now where we're sending out 20 million emails a week, and those emails generate an enormous return on investment because they're personalized. Now, at that scale, we can create all sorts of custom segments, but the main thing that we're trying to do is drive relevance and drive context. So we've seen if you can add a variable in your communication like an email or an SMS message that just talks about time and location or time and weather, two variables of context, the conversion rates go up 20 to 40%. So if you just say, hey, this afternoon, you know, it's raining and we've got something that's great for you. Here's a dish that might be perfect for today uh, that just it grabs somebody because it's not a generic message that they know went out to uh, every single person. It feels like it's for them, even if it is the same message that went to everybody else. So um, so we look at email and we look at SMS as two channels that can uh, you know, really move the business significantly. Um, and, and then I think the, the second piece is um, we're doing a lot of work in the loyalty space right now. Um, and people think about uh, loyalty is probably the most polarizing conversation in, uh, in restaurant because some people love it. Some people hate it. They'll say, well, you're rewarding people who are already coming in or others will say it's the you know, core driver of the business. I think that what loyalty programs give you is they give you an understanding of who your best customers are. Uh, so one, they give you data that you don't have access to. Uh, so we're leveraging those quite a bit. Um, but what they also do is they tell you a lot about the patterns of consumption. They talk to you about when people come back and more importantly, why they don't come back. So we're building a lot of models right now um, that tell us that uh, you know, we can start to predict that uh, if you uh, exhibit this behavior based on all the data we've had previously, we know you're probably not going to come back. And then we can use a channel like email, like SMS, or in some cases, even just have the manager come out and give you a free appetizer on your second visit, because we know that, um, you know, you might not be likely to come back for that third. Okay, excellent. Let's move on to um, a phrase or, or a series of words, customer experience design. Can you define what that means to T3, what that means to your client and how, you know, a seamless flow and all these moments that you delight your customer all add up to loyalty? Sure. You know, I think that restaurateurs, uh, the best restaurateurs um, really have always been about experience design. I mean, they they create these these uh, beautiful spaces that people want to be a part of. Um, they think about lighting. They think about uh, in some cases, noise, in some cases they don't, uh, you know, but they think about the ambiance mm -hmm. and, um, yet when they start to add other other things to other channels, other forms of communication, they stop thinking about that. They think about just the actual four walls that somebody's in. And then when you add an email, that email may not have the same aesthetic or tone or look and feel their website may not be the same. Um, the way that they talk to someone who's in their loyalty program may be very different. So when we think about experience design, we want 
want to think about every experience that a user has, that a, that a guest has, and we want to actually map that out. And so we build what we call journey maps. And those journey maps are going to put every single touch point that a guest could have at any time in their relationship on one sheet of paper so that we can look at that and understand that that's what they go through. So they may think about coming to your restaurant, but the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go Google and they're going to look at, are you open? Uh, then they're probably going to go to the menu. When they do that, they may, may end up on Yelp where they may see three of your competitors. So reviews start to come into play. And then you know, there may be 10 touch points that happen before they walk into your restaurant. And then once they leave, there may be 20 more. If we don't take all those into consideration and we just think about a single point in time, we might design something that doesn't actually meet the needs of that specific guest and think that we did a great job of solving that problem when, in fact, there's a lot bigger context that we have to take into consideration. So when we think about experience design, we want to think about the entire experience and then make sure that everything that we designed is purposeful. Now, how does that play in uh, to the next topic, customer relationship management, which really focuses in on customer preferences, order history, all that? So once you design the experience, then you want to really design and manage that relationship, don't you? You do. And those things are very intertwined. And, and when we think about experience, we take customer relationship management, we take loyalty, we take all of those um, into consideration and we actually plot them out together because sometimes you throw around words like CRM and these acronyms or online ordering or, um, and, and people start to compartmentalize those, uh, in big companies, it's because it's in a different department in smaller organizations. It might just be because either someone else does it or because it's a different platform or really it's just something that you haven't done before. And so what we have to do is we have to think about those not as different, um, tactics or initiatives, but as part of that longer journey. With customer relationship management, that should be part of our experience, but we we try to flip it a little bit. And, and we don't think we have the ability to actually manage the relationship with the customer. The customer is going to manage their relationship with us. They own it. Right. And so we call it CMR. And so you know if the customer is managing that relationship how do we give them the controls? Uh, if they give us a piece of information, maybe they tell us they have an allergy uh, or they don't like a particular type of cuisine. We should be able to take that information and just like we would do if you were in our restaurant, um, not serve you things that have those allergens in them. We should strip those out of the website. We shouldn't send you an email about shellfish if you're allergic to it. Um, and a customer is willing to give us that information because they want the experience to be better when they come in. That's what we believe customer relationship management or customer managed relationships are about uh, moving forward. And so that's how we try to we can try to view it through that lens. All right. Can you explain the interface with, say, you know, today's point of sale systems with data data mining and capture so that we have order history, so that we have customer preferences? I mean, are, are there many different apps or platforms that sort of all communicate with the POS to give a restaurateur this data? Can you kind of give me an idea how that works? I, I wish this, I wish there was a simple answer and that it was yes. And unfortunately, the answer is usually no. Uh, most restaurants that we deal with, the POS, when you think about implementing customer experience is your biggest challenge because um, they're usually proprietary um, and they're usually very challenging to work with. 
Now there's some new POS systems that are uh, that are trying to really you know break the mold on that, trying to be much more open, uh, much easier to um, integrate third-party systems with. Uh, and so we, we like that the world is going in that direction, but usually the POS is a challenge. Uh, so what we often see, unfortunately, is that operators are going out and looking for point solutions. So they might be looking for uh, an online ordering platform here and an email uh, service provider here uh, and someone to analyze their data here. And so um, what we're counseling them to do is to look at the entire experience understand what you really need in terms of data and information to run your business, pick a couple of those key metrics, and then try to make sure that any technology decisions that you make help you get there. And more importantly, don't prevent you from getting there. Um, So we kind of help clients write their uh, RFPs or requests for proposals for new technologies and make sure that they're asking the right questions so that those systems ideally play together. Thanks for answering that one. Let's talk about shrinking physical spaces and how that relates to growing brand value. Sure. So uh, there is a it's it's a it's a hot topic. I think everybody from uh, mass retailers. Uh, we just worked on a large project with a, a huge retailer trying to take their footprint from about forty thousand square feet down to five thousand square feet. I think everybody is realizing that because a lot of interactions are happening off online. They might not need as much of a physical presence. And I think in restaurant, that is, uh, that, that's a pretty valid conversation. So with things like to go being a much larger, uh, uh revenue driver, uh, with things like delivery, restaurateurs are asking, do I need as much space? Um, and if I do need that much space, do I need to be doing the same things or can I do more with that space? So what we're trying to figure out is how do you optimize that experience so that a customer has a great interaction no matter what they're coming in for. Um, and, and we, uh, so that those are things like in some cases creating uh, specialized delivery windows or lines so that people can skip the line. So they're not waiting if they've gone through the process of, of ordering uh, ahead um, in some cases, we're working with restaurants who uh, have more of a self-service model where somebody might come in, uh, they get a bowl, and they go and they actually uh, create their own items. Um, that doesn't work very well if they're focusing more on delivery because the labor model has never really had to go out and make those items for a customer. So how do you optimize the in-store experience, not only for a customer, but also for the back-of-house staff? Um, and then, you know, there's some really in, innovative things that we're working on right now that uh, are things like lockers. Uh, so where the food is prepared and ready to go and all you have to do is sort of walk up, uh, scan your phone uh, and a, a locker door opens and you can grab that and walk out. So uh, I think that you know, we're looking at space not just as something that could be shrunken to save costs, but more that can be optimized to create the ideal experience. Uh, for a number of different guest uh, need states. That's that's clear. Thank you. Uh, ben, why is location the most important data to have? Uh, well, it, I assume we're talking about a user's location. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, location, one, one point, um, if, if you just have location, uh, it unlocks so many different things. Uh, we, we have a project that we've worked with on a client where um, – 
we take a user's location, they give us their location, um, and we're able to bounce that off about eight different systems uh, and give them all sorts of information that they need, in this case, about their home. Um, it's for an insurance provider. Uh, but what we found in that is that location is kind of the gateway to understanding the context around a user. So if I know your location, I, I know the weather, I know the neighborhood that you're in. So I know if you're close to my restaurant, but I also know if you're close to my competitors. Um, I know the types of food that are available in that restaurant, uh, in that area. Um, I can even know things like uh, the typical household income. Is this more of a um, an urban area or is this more of a rural area? And so location unlocks a lot of that. The challenge is, can a brand then take that and create something that's relevant? And so in uh, media right now, we're using location to do things like uh, uh, messaging um, around um, uh, sporting events, right? So we can detect that someone is at a sporting event uh, and afterwards they might be uh, open you know, to going to a restaurant with a group of friends. So we can actually geofence and target that particular location and hit them with relevant messaging. Uh, so we just think that location is, um, it's something that we've been missing from as marketers for a long time. And now that we have access to that, assuming we do it in the right way, you know, going through all the privacy um, uh, checkpoints that we should, uh, it, it's, it's a tool that we can use uh, to drive significant business value. Excellent. So I was traveling the country a week or two ago, and I was somewhere in Ohio, if memory serves, and I was staying in a hotel that had sort of a menu book with, you know, 10 different restaurants that all shared the same sort of outsourced delivery service. And so my family and I sort of went through all the different restaurants, and we all found something in one place that appealed to all of us. And we called this company up, and it was the most efficient sort of a nightmare of a system that clearly didn't work for whatever reason. They told us that we couldn't order from that restaurant because their delivery people weren't in the location or, you know, and it was going to take like an hour and a half to get our food from this place. And the whole thing just said, forget it. <laughs> so that leads me to the next question, because I know you don't, that you recommend your clients sort of refrain from outsourcing services to third party vendors. But what other reasons can you offer besides this sort of bad experience where we had to forget that and just get in our car and drive somewhere? Sure. Well, there's a lot of challenges with third party delivery. I think the first and that probably every restaurateur would agree with is that they take a huge chunk of the, of the check mm -hmm. in some cases, 30%. So wow. that stuff, I mean, I don't know many restaurant operators who make in 30% margin. So that's challenging. So, um, but they bring a lot of customers. The problem is that when they bring those customers, they own all of the data and they own the experience. So to your point, you can't, ensure that the uh, delivery driver is going to be there on time, that the food is going to be hot, um, that maybe they didn't stick their hands in the bag and eat half of your fries. Uh, <laughs> right, but, right. but guess who they're going to be upset with? They're going to be upset with the restaurant, Absolutely not right. with the delivery provider. And so mm -hmm. not only do you miss out on that opportunity, but more importantly, you don't have a relationship with the customer. And if you don't pay that, that third-party delivery service, then guess what? Next time you're not going to show up at the top and they're definitely not going to send a customer in your direction. So we counsel our clients not necessarily to move away from those third-party delivery providers because they're great to actually get you the food, but we, we want them to make sure that they own the relationship. And whether you're a 
you know, a, a one unit, uh, you know, just, just open the doors restaurant, or you're at 10,000 units. If you don't have the relationship directly, then it's, it's a leaky bucket. Um, and you're going to have a, a real challenge. And so, um, that's really our counsel is make sure that you own as much of that data and as much of the, uh, the physical relationship as you can. Couldn't agree more. Um, all of my restaurants did delivery and we controlled the experience. We controlled the relationship. It was a huge revenue center for the restaurant in addition to the seats that we had on the floor. So I can totally see that as well. We've been all over the place, Ben. Are there any points that we've missed that you would like to uh, you know, share with the audience that you think are also relevant to helping them move their business forward? You know, I would say that um, the restaurant category right now is it's, it's probably the most interesting part of our business because there is so much change coming and I don't see it letting up. I see uh, more disruption coming. And the only thing that I would, I would say is if you are in the space right now, you have to be voracious about consuming news, uh, understanding technology and really listening to where customer trends are going because we are guilty of saying things like, it's not going to happen in this industry, or that's not really relevant to us because that's uh, that's only happening in healthcare. That's only happening in retail. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that now there's no longer categories. People don't think in terms of categories. They don't think about uh, an experience that happened in one vertical uh, and then totally close their mind off to an experience in another. They expect that if they can order something on Amazon and it's going to be there in two hours, but they expect that if they can just uh, look at their phone and it automatically opens, they can push a button and summon an Uber, that everything else should operate that way. And uh, the level and the bar on customer experience and the expectations that customers have is only going to, to rise. And so as restaurateurs, I think we just really have to make sure that we're understanding that not just in our category but outside and then the job of the operator is to really figure out how that's going to have an impact on the business okay excellent i just thought of another question that i didn't ask you earlier this is one the restaurant business is is one of very few businesses that i can think of that have multi-generational crossover we're serving multi-different demographics And we have to be relevant to all those different demographics and age segments, depending on certain themes and concepts, if we want to capture as much market share as possible. You know, everything seems to be about the millennial generation. Lots of millennials are working in restaurants right now. Uh, There are a lot of customers that we have that are millennials and we have to feed, you know, focus on what they're really looking for without alienating an audience that we might've served for decades before that. I mean, is it possible to serve everyone well and reach them all using these technologies and these different techniques that we've talked about today and somehow strike a balance without alienating any one group? I don't know that it's possible to serve everybody, but I do think those platforms give us uh, the best chance to serve more people in a more relevant way. Uh, and I think what what we're trying to, uh, again, counsel clients to look at is instead of just saying millennials or baby boomers, what's the mindset that in many cases spans multiple generations in this millennial mindset, which is I want the ability to have what I want, when I want it, wherever I want it is not something that's just for people who are 
under the age of 35. It's spanning now up to any income, any demographic, any location. And so if we think more about those mindsets, um, then I think we'll be better prepared. And then we've got to use technology to really understand the context of the user, understand what they're looking for, and make it as simple as possible for them to interact. If we could do that, then I think that we can span those generations and, and really be useful to people, no matter their age or demographic. Okay, very good. Let me ask you, how can our audience find T3? Are there social media platforms you'd like to share with us on how people can find you and maybe you know, get a little bit more information or reach out to you guys? Sure. Uh, you can find us at, uh, at www.t-3.com, uh, our website. We've got a, a lot of information and case studies and some, some uh, articles that we write uh, on the restaurant space there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Ben D Gaddis, all one word, and that's G A D D I S, um, and uh, or at T Three Think Tank on Twitter. Okay, that's great. Well, this has been a great conversation, Ben. You've been super, super informative, and we talked about a lot of really powerful ideas that I believe will really move the needle on uh, you know restaurants business. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Roger. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you having us on the show. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a review on iTunes. And also, you can go to www.restaurantrockstars.com for lots of information and free resources to help you move your business forward. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. And while you're there, download a copy of the book, Rock Your Restaurant. It's a game changer. See you next time.